So for those that are just coming back, uh, who don't have kids that are still coming back from um, summer holidays, um, just in case you missed it, the location of X Weddings changed, didn't it, Kev? It did, yeah. yeah. So we are now... At- Normally we do something funny at the start, but I thought we'd do something serious. Um, yeah, so we're, it's simple. We've just moved to the Apex Hotel in Bath, mm. which is a nicer hotel, bigger hotel. It's got a swimming pool. It's got uh, saunas and jacuzzis. And- yep. Yeah, you yep. s- you suggested you might just stay in there for the. Yeah, I'm not going to go for, to the conference. For the duration, going to <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> tickets sell- t- tickets selling well. Yes, tickets doing all right. We have still got a couple more to go. Um, I, I know, I know, I need to uh, sell a few more of, of my workshop ones about adding sound. Yeah, there's a couple of places left on yours for your sound one. Mm. Uh, there's a couple of places left on uh, Voiters, um, and there's a couple more left on the um, keynote day. Also, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, but it's going well. We're looking really looking forward to it. We have got Fuji Film coming, and oh, Fuji Film definitely coming. Yeah, and also oh, there's an opportunity also to um, to to just test some cameras, weren't there? Yeah, and yeah. I, th- I think fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, you know, don't don't um, don't quote me on this just yet. But I think uh, Andreas bless him is trying to organise this mm. to have a hire system in place. So hopefully you'll be able to hire something on the day and just pay the like the postage costs or something like that. I think um, from hire a camera and uh, you know use it for whatever however long period of time it is, and then bring it back um, or send it back. So yeah, that'd be pretty good. We also have tomorrow we will be in Brighton for yeah. the um, so if, Brighton meetup. If you're listening to this on the correct day, it's tomorrow, so it's Tuesday the 10th. Yeah. If you're listening afterwards, you may have missed it. You're so much better at but, remembering. Yeah. To, to, to like, <laughs> I'm just thinking, I, I find it hard enough thinking about tomorrow actually isn't just, really tomorrow in my world right now. Old, ha- old, old, <laughs> habits, <laughs> old habits die hard from the radio days of always having to think, what, what day is this going out? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's even songs of praise <laughs> at Christmas. Even though... Being recorded in August. Even though we, um, we actively encourage people of any camera affiliation to come yeah. along. You do yeah. not need to be a Fujifilm shooter. Um, I'm hoping that we will have somebody from Fujifilm there tomorrow, maybe with a little bit of gear as well to yeah. uh, to you know test out if you so well, wish. I, um, I've got a tiny announcement, uh, but we should press the, uh, the the theme tune first. The Fujicast. So, um, the little announcement to go with that, by the way, is that, um, and he said it's fine, fine to mention it, is that a friend of the show, um, Sean Tucker, um, says he's going to be there as well. So he's he's becoming quite a large YouTube star, mm-hmm. um, certainly in the UK. Very, very genuine, down-to-earth bloke, and be absolutely lovely to have him there. And you reminded me, because when you said um, any camera affiliation, he's... I mean, he shot Fuji, but he's he's not Fuji now. I think he shoots Sony. Doesn't Sony he? now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely, quite right. It's it's about the photography and uh, the chit chat and the fish and chips and, and the fish and the, chips uh, and the beer and the curry the and all that. So we we all gout uh, be able to um, deal with the uh, the beer and the fish and chips so. and, the, and the red wine. And well, between now and then, I've got to get to South of Ireland, photograph a wedding oh, on Saturday. Yeah. And gout is not a good thing to have. <laughs> old man's disease. <laughs> Gold man's disease. Never get old, children. Never get old. Never get old. Right, welcome to the Fujicast this week. Uh, thank you to our friends at Simpler Straps for letting us give away a simpler camera strap each to our favourite email questions of the week. Great thing about Simpler is that they're proportional, made for smaller pro-grade cameras, max function, minimal bulk. Great if you have 
gout as well, probably. <laughs> that sort of minimal bulk equipment. Yeah. Um, quick adjusting, non-metal h- hardware that won't scratch your camera. Um, we have a great guest on the uh, the show today, Ian McDonald. Now, you know Ian, don't you? I've never met him, but I know him um, online and from the Fuji X community, of course. Yeah, so uh, nice guy, Canadian guy. Yeah. Um, is he uh, ex-wedding photographer? He is. Uh, yeah. I don't... Yes, he is. Of course oh, he is. He's I know a, that. He's an ex-photographer, <laughs> yeah, but he's not necessarily shoot that many weddings well um the one of the, the most interesting things about ian and i i, I had this in uh, an email was um w- was the fact that he was a former paramedic and um from his years working as a paramedic um he suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder, disorder. yeah and the photography helped him. Well, we talk about this, that it's not so much a cure, but it certainly helped him work through this process. And now he talks to photographers, uh, camera clubs, and the corporate world about um, photography and, and what a difference um, that made to his PTSD. So he's mm. a really, really... Um, I'm so pleased that we managed to, to grab him for a conversation. And you will hear that on today's show. Right, questions. Let's leap into them. Do you have a first one? Uh, no. No, shall I go? <laughs> Philip Kelly. Oh, I think we've dealt with this sort of one, one before, but it's, it's worth mentioning. I just wanted to say thanks to you both for, for the wonderful podcast. I love listening to a variety of podcasts, but yours has quickly become one of my faves. If Kevin only smiles 35 times a month, then he must use up his <laughs> quota very quickly as he makes makes each of these with you, Neil. Well, he does smile quite a lot, to be fair, Philip Kelly. Yes, he does. That's that's gout pain. Is that gout pain? Yeah, it just makes me That's a bit like when you have a child and you can't work out whether they're, <laughs> whether they're smiling or they've just passed wind. Uh, I had uh, several full belly of laughs during today's chat with Ralu. Top stuff, Kevin. Oh, this is, goes back for a while, yeah, isn't it? Top yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, Kevin Kevin helped me make the right choice about the X100s a few years back after I, I emailed... Um, emailed him and, and thanks for replying them to the message I left about the last YouTube video so there we go so actually there wasn't so much a question but it was just something that Philip Kelly wanted to pass on yeah I'll okay. put that I'll put that in, in the passing on file yeah and you can actually go with a question okay thanks Philip for that uh, this one is from Ryan Katsanez you think that's how you pronounce Katsanez. it Katsanez Katsanez yeah, yeah Katsanez uh, I don't know but if you say it with enough Katsanez belief yeah Katsanez then, then people think yeah that must be Katsanez yeah, and it also says he's in Vancouver, Washington, which always confuses me. Yeah. It's Vancouver. Vancouver's Canada, right? I thought, yeah. And Washington is... Well, there must be another Vancouver. I mean, there's... Must for, be a, maybe a, a little bit of... For example, in this country, there's a small London and a big London. But Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Katsanis. Anyway, he, he's actually... Katsanis. He's told us, yeah, he's told us that there. Yeah, um, it's there. Katsanis. Yeah, Katsanis. Uh, okay, so... <laughs> We'll get there eventually. Greetings, gents. Questions for uh, Kevin primarily this time. How did you get started doing day-in-the-life sessions? What are your top tips for finding clientele who want this kind of session? My thought is to build a portfolio with friends, so I have something to show. Thanks very much. Keep up the good work. How I got started? I had my own children. (laughs) Essentially, they were my models. Uh, that got me going, um, concentrated on them, and uh, and it's just kind of come from there. And you, the the best place that my day in the life stuff comes from, and, and it, you know, honestly, openly admit that I don't do that many of them these days, is you know, mostly because I'm kind of busy doing other stuff. But um, is from past wedding clients. You know, you around about eighteen months after the wedding, 
send them a follow up email just say hey hope you're all getting on you know by the way I don't know if you know but I do these uh, these other sessions Mm. Um, you know just kind of general follow up stuff I I do that regularly you know I will send a um, a set of emails to past clients clients that I think are worth targeting post gig upsell yeah and but it's not so much about wedding stuff or albums or anything like that it's like Hey, did you know that I can also do uh, like commercial videos for yeah. your business and stuff like that? I started doing that recently. So uh, you, you know, because a lot of the a lot of the clients, the brides and grooms, yeah. run their own businesses, or uh, you know, they're, they're they're often high up in in business or something. You know, and you know, you just kind of it's who you know and is not necessarily you know as important as what you know but sometimes it helps how important has the upsell become for you now because um for for me it's now becoming a really important part of of my business and and i'll be absolutely honest and we'll discuss this um because it's one of one of the main topics um uh, which was inspired by an email by um uh, by by a message from rivki lockyer in the uh, the facebook group uh, about um about being in the industry full time personally um uh, I, I've found I've had to lower some of my prices of late, particularly in weddings. And so the upsell now has become even more important. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> weddings, yeah, absolutely. It's it's a tricky time for sure. And this <laughs> Brexit. Well, <laughs> Brexit's not helping, careful. honestly. I, careful, careful. I watched that last night, that complete <laughs> in the House of Commons, and I was embarrassed, absolutely embarrassed mm. to be British. Uh, you know, it, 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 I can't. I can't even describe how angry I am at that whole thing. Whether not not about who voted for what or in and yeah, out, yeah. it's it's this whole charade. The the whole it's like watching it's like watching the Muppets. You know, it's like watching the Muppets. <laughs> Waldorf and Statler. And and I just yeah, those two they're the ones up in the balcony, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they're the ones. Uh, and we I, loved it. We loved it. We hated it. We hated it. Those oh, ones. And the way that they shout at each other and the way that they you know, lounge on the sofas and well, yeah, I, they, do you know what I watched? Uh, J- Jacob Rees Mogg um, actually reclining yesterday. I, 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 order, order. As if he was watching Sky Sports. Honestly, or honestly, we, we we must not get political. But the arrogance of that, and you know, uh, in fairness, there will be probably be people doing exactly the same on the opposite side of the house. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But the the total and utter humiliation of our country by you know three hundred or so you know entitled. People. Oh, I, anyway, I need to get back in my box. It's crazy. What was the question again? <laughs> I, can, I tell you what. Uh, let off some steam, Kev. Hold on. And here's five seconds of, of cute kitten pictures for you, just to calm you down. Well, just, just by the way, if you don't live in the UK, we, we, uh, many people in the UK are like coiled springs. Oh. They really are. They're they're, just, they're, they're waiting, but. The, uh, while we talk about Brexit, I mean, uh, the, the, there are quite a few people um, that we've uh, I've, I've spoken to in the Facebook group of, uh, group of late um, from um, America and Canada, hmm. where you know similar things. Are, it's a state of the industry thing at the moment, it's, you know. And I think it's very easy just to blame everything on Brexit. No, absolutely. No, and that's why I was going to say, you know, the, the marketplace is is you know being tainted a little bit. And and again, you know, we're going off tangent a little bit. It's it's part. When have we ever gone off it's, tangent? It's partly the camera c- company's faults. I, I you know I really believe this that cameras are too cheap, too good. And it's too easy to, you know, to basically rock up, take mm. 20,000 pictures. Uh, you know, the X-T3, if you have it in sport finder mode, can take 30 frames per second. And, you know, you don't, you can be very good very quickly. And, and I'm not, you know, I'm not, 
I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, okay? Obviously, the camera companies want that, but it's making the barriers uh, less. Yeah. Simple as that, and that's that's a fact. So to get back on track then, up, up, <laughs> upselling. Oh, yeah, upselling. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, uh, the, the answer is, yeah, I've, I've also reduced my rate slightly to, you know, to try and kind of push things forward a bit. Mm. Um, but what, a little thing I picked up from you, really, was about the time, because I, I've always been pretty precious about my uh the, the junction timing type thing so bridal prep to first oh, dance see. for yeah, example yeah, yeah. and you know i always say to them look i'll be there till first dance I'll, I'll you know i'll hang around 20 minutes or so after if people come on a dance floor and i take some shots of that but one of the things i've started doing is offering at the point of um inquiry is an evening package so you know, uh, I, I think till eleven o'clock or something. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that you know two or three people have, the up, have the gone for it. Is okay, yeah, isn't it? they've yeah. gone for it. So I wish I'd have done this in the good old days. Yeah, but but the good thing is, you know, we're not staying there for free. That's that's important. You know, I, I still I know a lot of people, um, and again, it's entirely up to them. They. You know, their marketing and branding is that you know we'll be there at nine in the morning and we'll be there till the last person leaves the the, the dance floor at one o'clock in the morning. That doesn't fill me with any kind of sense of anticipation. Um, I don't mind being there until one o'clock in the morning, as long as I'm being paid my hourly rate well, for it. Well, one of the things I was uh, I, I'm going to talk about in um, uh, certainly in Bath at the ex weddings conference is uh, is the photo film and how much of a difference now mm. that's made to my business. I introduced the photo film in the year we had the um, um, the last big recession, mm. and. Um, and I wouldn't say it rescued or saved my business or anything quite like that. It was it was doing fine, but it made a lot of difference, um, certainly with with upselling, and the fact that people were then getting something yeah. that other photographers couldn't do. So the the idea of well, I can get sound and stills, um, really, and what does that become? Oh, it becomes like a supercharged. Um, you know, supercharged stills slideshow. But the difference is you're going to have the sounds of of, um, of those that you love forever as well as the pictures. And, and that made a huge difference. And it's making a difference now again. Uh, yeah, and quite right, because you, the thing, the, what you did then, were, you know, we, we always talk about the, the um, immutable laws of marketing and branding. And, you know, it's, it's better to be first than it is to be better. But in this case, you were first and better which is which is great because you know it's a win-win situation immediately after you started doing that loads of other people started doing mm. it which is fine of course i mean you even did well, workshops i was on doing it. workshops yeah. you can't expect people not um to. but then there was that one guy i can't remember his name um who, who then said that he was the first one to invent it yeah, or something yeah, and yeah, i was like yeah. get off you're fine get well, off your, well, your, your bucket he doesn't do them anymore by the way no of course because he didn't do them very well that's why <laughs> and he couldn't sell any yeah. uh, and that's the difference you know make something that's that's uh unique unique selling point in photography my god who would have thought of it um <laughs> and then uh you know do it very well and be reasonable with it which is what you did and uh, you know, I mean, I even dabbled with it, but I was rubbish. Your photo films have become something very different. It's interesting because people, because you have a very good profile, I noticed a few questions come in for you, that, that um, you often get associated with the um, the inventor of the photo film. Uh, well, I'm not sure about the inventor, but I do title them photo films on yeah. mine, but they're not. They're, they're, well, there's they're just stills. Essentially with, with slideshows. Music. But, it's but, a slideshow, But you yeah. call them, they are films of photos. Yeah, so yeah, you can yeah. still call them, you can do what you like, can't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. But um, I mean, the interesting thing is I dropped the ball then for a couple of years and I took my eye off the... Um, 
the game when it came to using the photofilms as something that was was really important. Mm. And uh, I've had to you know, really work hard to reintroduce the concept again. Mm. Uh, and it, uh, that's making a difference again, mm. albeit slightly at the moment, but it's making a difference. I have to say, and, and I'm, I'm not at all associated with them or, or anything, but the Pixelu smart slides thing that I started yes. using recently has yes. saved a lot of time. Yeah. You can. I used to do exactly the same thing in Premiere Pro. Yeah, yeah. But it saves so much time. Well, the way you do them, it makes total sense, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, it makes, saves so much time. All uh, right, Paul Gallagher in York. Um, hi, Neil. Hi, Kevin. A three-parter. First of all, I'd like to say how much I'm loving the podcast. Blah, 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 blah. Best photography podcast, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> he wrote this. <laughs> yeah. Secondly, what's the best way for a complete beginner to learn the basics of photography, such as the exposure triangle, at the same time as learning the basics of their new Fujifilm camera? Someone I know has bought an XT3 in the 1855 but doesn't really know how to use it. They live in a completely different continent to me, so it's not as if I can give them a few pointers. I suggest that they read Understanding Exposure by Brian Peterson, since that's what really helped me, although um, quite a few years ago. They don't seem to want to, to go down the book route. What's a decent online course? Are there any that also incorporate teaching the basics with the use of the Fujifilm system? Finally, part three, can I have a simpler strap? Yes, you can, Paul. There <laughs> well, we go. Well done, Paul. You asked, you got. I think that's Paul. Uh, I'm fairly sure that's Paul who came on my Scotland workshop. Oh, is it? Um, if so, hello, Paul. If not, sorry. Um, <laughs> there must be more than one Paul Gallagher the, in the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. Although I was sure he's from York. Um, uh, well, do you want to answer? Um, yeah, I mean, the book route is, I, I'm terrible at reading books. Technical books. Technical books, yeah. Yeah. yeah the first thing that goes on the side... Or back in the box, actually, neatly, neatly packed away uh, for when I sell the camera in the years to come, is the instruction manual. Oh, there you go, straight in the bin for me. Um, I don't keep the boxes or stuff like that. So, so I, I tend to anything I want to learn about photography systems, I tend to go through YouTube. It's just such a valuable learning resource. Now, I know you have to sort the wheat for the chaff. Is that the right expression? Yeah. But but um, but actually, it, it's not that hard to drill down after a very short amount of time. No. Some some good knowledgeable stuff on YouTube. Yeah. That, you, and that's where that's where I would point him. Simple as. You can usually see by the subscriber count and stuff if it's yeah. if it's decent. Well, I would um, I would point him to my book X one hundred S from snapshots to great shots. Of course, I've read that book, um, <laughs> which has still, a whole section still behind you, actually. which has a whole yeah. section on the uh, the exposure triangle. I completely <laughs> forgot your book. Sorry. First thing I would do before YouTube is I would go to this book written by a guy called Kevin Mullins. Uh, he wrote it about what four or five years ago. Yeah, and um, I still have it. It's behind. Yeah, I've still got it. Well, I got. I think I gave you a dedication. I think. Um, anyway, the uh, no, I wouldn't seriously buy that book just for that. Um, Although you can if you wish. The, <laughs> it's on Amazon. Uh, yeah, yeah, YouTube or lynda.com actually is really ah, good. Ah, yeah. But really, you know, I when you started photography, yeah. did you think about the exposure triangle? No. No, I didn't either. No, no, no. I didn't. I, I you know, I, 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 I read, picked it up. Yeah, I picked it up and, and I heard about it in a college course I was doing. I, I, not, s- not re- I can't remember ever really being... Well, I, I remember having my very first camera, which was a Canon uh, D30D or D30 or D something right. or other, whatever. Uh, you know, real prosumer, uh, not prosumer, consumer DSLR. Yeah, I think mine was Nikon so D100. Yeah, 300 quid or something it yeah. was. And I remember fiddling a bit with all the buttons and dials and everything and, and slowly realising that actually when you change one 
thing something else you know it got darker or lighter and you could counteract that with something else yeah. uh you know and eventually experience kind of you know got got through that um that's how i learned and you know just doing it using it there's only three parameters really to understand and they're very once you once you kind of get over the the, the hump of it it's pretty simple yeah um and uh yeah and, and obviously buy my book but obviously that's on amazon <clears throat> have we checked is it still on amazon should be you can buy it direct from my workshops website. You get it signed. Oh, there we go. Even better. <laughs> Even better. Is it? Have you still got a few it's, boxes? It's, in, in, it's still uh, print. Oh, I've got about six left, I have think. You? Yeah, the royalties are there still trickling get in. Get in quick. Which is great. Six left. Yeah. Your question. And uh, then, then I think we'll go over the interview. My question here is from Mark Adams, and it says, uh, Since swapping to Fujifilm X-T20 from Nikon, I found myself using JPEGs much more than ever before for my work. When I do edit, it's usually to add a LUT or RV Turner from the Fujifilm themselves, or perhaps some classic film uh, L- LUTs. So Look up LUTs table. are lookup table, tables. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, almost like presets. I never use presets in my software. Okay. <laughs> Not almost like presets. As I think uh, the LUT <laughs> gives you much more control of the look you want. My question is, do you prefer presets or LUTs and why? Uh, loving, your ponca- uh, loving your podcast and interaction on the Facebook group, etc., etc. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, he makes a valid point. I said almost like presets because I hadn't read the entire question and they are different. He's uh, terrible, Mark. Um, he really is. He, li- he likes this sort of paperless system, but... Yeah, I'm telling you. I, when I sent in the questions, it was like homework before. Save the trees. I know. <laughs> no, well, I mean, I, you, you, LUTs traditionally was something that we would use in video editing. Yeah, I, I use LUTs in video editing. Yeah. yeah, and you can you can use LUT. So a LUT is essentially a lookup table of uh, color grading, effectively, right? Mm. And you can install LUTs on most um, photo editing packages, mm. some easier than others. So on Lightroom, for example, you can use them, but it's a real got to jump through lots of hoops to yeah. do it. And I can't see the reason for doing that when there's so many great presets around. Well, Although quite, if you find a LUT you like, obviously you want to use it as a preset. Well, that, you know, one of the, he says there he's using the uh, Eterna LUT. For yeah. from Fujifilm on the XT20. Now XT20 doesn't have Eterna in it. Of course, you see. Yes. So this is one of the only ways you can get Eterna. So if you're using I don't know X100F or something like that, you can use the Eterna Fujifilm LUT to get an Eterna film simulation. However, it is a bit of a, a wacky way of doing it. Um, Alien Skin Exposure and I believe Luminar and I believe Capture One also you just import LUTs as if they were presets and you can then just apply them so there are uh, yeah I mean I don't use LUTs for stills I use them for video editing a lot um, I use presets for Are you using LUTs still for, for video editing I've started laying off LUTs a bit now because I did buy I mean the, uh, the the Pete McKinnon ones are really good and I quite, yeah. like, quite like some of uh, he has one called Kodak something yeah. Kodak Cruncher or Kodak, something to do with Kodak which I liked yeah and it worked really nicely for a film I recorded abroad but I'm now just going more gentle with my yeah you know, I, I tend to be recording in a Turner and then um yeah, and, the, and, and then and then grading atop that. Mm, yeah, I still well saying that I haven't done anything for YouTube for what feels like decades, um, <laughs> but yeah, I still use them, and mostly because I whenever I, I review the footage, I feel like I look like a complete bag of nails. Oh, stop it! So I have a, a LUT called bag of nails remover. Bag of nails remover. That's it. <laughs> Soften. Yes. <laughs> Soften. Yeah. Smile ad. <laughs> I tell you what, if you, if you if you really do need a good face softener, not that I've used it. Uh, there is one in Magic Bullet Looks. Mm. Um, yeah, but obviously I've not used it. I no, just thought I'd I I it have out. that also, and I tried applying it once yeah. um, to a music video I'd recorded of some friends, 
and it was it was just taking hours and hours and hours to render. Yeah, very slow. Oh, they are. Yeah, yeah. they can be. But but yeah, I agree. I, the magic bullet stuff is good. Right. Let's move to this week's interview. Um, this week we hear from Ian McDonald's website, IanMcDonaldPhotography.com, who is one of Canada's official Fujifilm X photographers. He's also an educator, as you're about to find out. Naturally, his bio makes for the introduction very well today. I quote, It took me a long time to write this part of my website. The reality is that I, like many artists, struggle to talk about myself. As a photographer, I would rather put the spotlight on the subject of my photograph than on myself. After all, that's what really matters. Like many artists, I've been on a journey over the last few years that's ever-evolving, but one that I can confidently say has given me more joy and purpose in my life than anything else other than my family and friends. Now, I think that's an interesting one because, as you're about to find out, there are multiple levels to Ian's journey, one of them being his work as an educator in the field of PTSD, and perhaps more pertinently, how he believes photography aided his recovery from post-traumatic stress disorder. We've used the J word twice, so forgive me a third usage. I think this particular interview today is a journey in itself. I'd like to start, Ian, with some Fujifilm questions. Instead of rounding off with them, as I usually do, I'm going to start with them. When, when, sure. when did your Fujifilm, I'm going to call it epiphany, when did your Fujifilm epiphany start? What was that thing that convinced... Uh, Ian McDonald, of the value of, of that above an SLR or DSLR? Well, I've been an official Fuji X photographer for three years. But what really got me started, uh, I was a portrait photography uh, uh, photographer. Sorry, I was a Nikon shooter. And uh, I was getting kind of sick of the gear that I was using, as many of us did when we made the transition to mirrorless. I started looking for something different. And because I was a portrait photographer, I was following people like David Hobby from Strobist and Zach Arias. And they had all made uh, the switch to Fujifilm uh, very early, the X100, the X100S, the X-Pro1. And so I started uh, following the work that they were doing with it and made my switch shortly after that. And what was that first camera? Uh, the x 100 and then the X100S. Okay. Uh, my first foray into the interchangeable lens Fujifilm cameras was the X-T1. But at some point, you you because uh, that's very similar to Kevin, and similar in some respects to myself, because I had the original X100, although Kevin adopted it far earlier than I did, obviously. But at yes. some, some stage, you had to say, okay, all right, well, let's dump the Nikons, and we'll go with the Fujifilms. And yes. what, what was that moment and why? It was very quick for me. Uh, there was actually, it's funny you mentioned Kevin. Um, Fuji uh, Film in Tokyo put out four videos around that time. Uh, and they had official ex-photographers talking about their journey. Kevin was one, uh, Bert was another, and then Zach and David were the other two. Mm. And those videos were really catalysts for me because I saw these professionals in different genres working with these cameras successfully. Mm. And I saw that, I very quickly said, yep, that's the road, that's the path that I want to follow. And I made my switch. So I think I was probably only shooting two systems for maybe six months, okay. maybe a year max. What's the glass camera combo that you can't be without now, though? Well, the only camera I can't be without is an X100. Right. Uh, I've been with that camera almost since the beginning. I was one of the beta testers along with Kevin and Patrick and several people you know for the X100F. Yeah, yeah. Really, you know, as many of us say, the X100 is our desert island camera. <laughs> yeah. 
Professionally, however, um, right now I'm shooting, for example, weddings with two X-T3s just because I need uh, a 23 millimeter field of view and a 56 millimeter field of view. Um, however, if the X-Pro3 ever materializes, I will absolutely switch my X-T3s over because I much prefer the ergonomics of those cameras. Now that's interesting because this chat about this, this um, you know, ho- hopeful new X-Pro coming along I feel the same way, to be honest, Ian, because I think even though I'm, I'm in the same position as you and the same lens combo as well for when I work professionally with my, my X-T3s, the, the 23, 1.4. Is it the 1.4 you use? Uh, I do, yeah. Okay, and, and the 56. And, and those I find pretty much stay on the camera until the dancing when a wide comes out. That's about it, to, to be honest. But I, I never enjoy it as much as I did the X-Pro2s. Yeah, there's um there's an expression called process versus product. And for me, the act of making a photograph is just as important as the final image, which I know, you know, if we're only talking about client work is maybe a sacrilegious thing to say. But I need to love the process uh, and the X pro series and the X 100 series. Yeah. They just, they have a certain feel to them in your hand ergonomically. And when you shoot them, um, the XT threes are wonderful cameras and I switched to them specifically because of what they brought to the table from a technology perspective. But like I say, when I can go back to those rangefinder style bodies, I will not. You'll be a happy man. The the X, I, I assume though, the X100F is is the camera you travel with for the travel work that I've seen on your site. Everything. Your journey with the with the brand in Canada, not not knowing how the ambassador system works where you are. How how did that come about though? You know, one of the most common questions that all of us get uh, is basically, "How do I become?" or "How did you become an ex photographer?" <laughs> yeah, and and Kev- Kevin actually has a really lengthy post on his website about it, which I just linked to mine because you know he did the heavy work. And I just it. I just like to say on that note, Ian, for for the Fuji cast, those questions that come in generally we don't use those ones anymore. Right, <laughs> and and you know the thing is that um, I don't know how I became an ex photographer. Uh, Fujifilm reached out to me as they did to all of us um, that they asked to kind of be part of the family. And so I was doing what I think I've always done. I was creating work that I love. I was writing about it. I love writing as much as I love making images. So I don't know what a roadmap would be. Uh, I think they just look for people that they feel would represent the brand. And I'm sure the genre you shoot and everything else comes into play too. If your goal is recognition, you're always setting yourself up for failure because it's not sustainable. I mean, we can see what Instagram is doing to people's mental health that are obsessed when there's an outage for 24 hours or they didn't get enough likes on a photograph. And then the second part of it is that it's not sustainable. Um, it You fall into that publish or perish thing and you're always feeding the machine that is recognition. But I think if you just do what brings you joy, what intrinsically fulfills you, brands that are like-minded will find you and if you work well together a relationship is born from that Mm. and it's nothing that you have to force yourself to sustain because it's what you would do even if that brand didn't find you and the mental health thing we're just about to come on to the ptsd um, subject Mm -hmm. am i right in saying that canada are one of the early adopters of the, the system with instagram of not having likes showing we were one of the places that Instagram piloted it. Now that never happened to my account. So I'm sure they just randomized a small number of accounts to see what the effect would be. I would love it 
if they hid likes and things like that. Mm. Uh, and, and Instagram just made a return to what it was supposed to be, which was a photo sharing. Yeah. I mean, Instagram, Flickr, all of these things were really just supposed to be celebrations of this wonderful art form. Absolutely. And, and people have turned them into uh, a much different thing. So Canada was one of the beta testers for that, but I have no idea what happened or what the results were. So you've just finished your first book describing the relationship between PTSD and your photography. That in itself piqued my interest, Ian, to such a level that I, I felt we had to talk with you, regardless of your stature or your position or, or what you do as a Fujifilm ambassador in Canada. I think this would have been a fascinating subject, whether you're a Nikon shooter, Canon, whatever, mm-hmm. um, or even a pinhole camera shooter. I don't know. Des- describe this relationship, as you call it, for me. I know it has a lot to do with your former life as a paramedic, but let's start with that relationship. I think, I mean, I have to go back and shed some background, I think, to talk about that. But in short, you know, I was a paramedic for 20 years, and I've always been an artist at the same time. Uh, A musician, I did web design for a long time. um, And then I got into the visual arts and writing. And so a few years ago, what turned out to be PTSD um, came to a head. Uh, And as you can imagine, it disrupted my life completely, um, my family's life, my health, my wellness. And so, of course, you go through all the the things you would think a paramedic goes through when they're trying to heal from PTSD. They they take time away from work. Mm. They go through counseling and everything else. But for me... Uh, I was very lucky that I also had photography and and music for that matter, uh, because the arts, um, they gave me something joyful in my life. They gave me something productive in my life to focus on at a time when honestly, just getting out of bed was a struggle. And having a camera was one of the few times that the demons weren't knocking at the door to be, I guess, sadly dramatic about it for a second Um, you know if you if you think about mindfulness practice and you think about when are you not thinking about the bills and when are you not thinking about income tax and for you when are you not thinking about brexit um (laughs) the camera was that time for me when i was out making pictures i wasn't sick I, i wasn't thinking about being sick i wasn't thinking about my future or my family's future i was thinking about making photographs and so it became a huge part of my recovery. Paramedics have one of the highest rates of mental health problems, don't they? And suicide, yeah. Mm. I mean, if we were to go chronologically, there were little signs for years building up. Uh, you know, I 20 years as a paramedic, 15,000 ambulance responses. Wow. There were a lot of things that that we know now PTSD is not necessarily just one specific event. It can be, but much more it is um, a cumulative effect. Uh, And you see that with a lot of soldiers and and people that worked in my industry. And so if we look back in hindsight, we can see years of building up of me becoming angry Mm -hmm. and frustrated and intolerant all the time. And no one pinned it to, oh, Ian has PTSD. Um, I'm sure some people just thought, if I can say this on your podcast, Ian was an asshole, right? Mm. Um, We've had worse. But yeah, but the reality is those were the signs of of cracks appearing in the dam. And then what happened is that it came to a head. Uh, it broke into panic attacks. It broke into insomnia. It broke into nightmares. And that's when I started uh, seeing a, a counsellor. And the moment that camera came out, did, did you know that, that there was a relationship forming that was rather unique? 
Yeah, I did. I, I can think of times where I would force myself to drive into the city to shoot street, for example. Yeah. And uh, at the time, uh, I would be incredibly anxious, uh, nervous of, of driving into the city. And that in itself was a very weird thing for me because I've always been the classic type A personality, which I think most people that worked in my industry are. I thought nothing of managing a scene with, you know, multiple gunshot patients. Mm. I I was a musician that performed on stage in front of hundreds, if not a thousand people for one show that I played. And so being anxious or nervous about just driving into Vancouver to take a few pictures for an hour was a very weird ego uh, destroying experience. Very strange, I would have thought. Right? But what was interesting was that I would park the car, I would walk out into the streets, I would sling my X100 over my shoulder, uh, I would put podcasts on, and I would start walking. And it would be hours into it that I would realize I feel good. There wasn't all those voices. All those voices weren't uh, in my head um, talking about you know, is my health okay? What's wrong with me? All those things that at the time were going through my brain. It was just pictures. It was just the act of taking pictures. And then that became a um, a formal part of my recovery, if you were. I purposely made myself go out and take photographs because I realized the huge benefits it had to my mental wellness. Has um, the action of making pictures and the street work that you were involved in, has has that, I'm trying not to use a clumsy expression here, but has that cured or has it managed PTSD? It's an interesting saying, um, or interesting question, I should say. I don't know if cured is the right word, but one of the things that happens when you have uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, or if you have um, panic attacks or anxiety or depression, I mean, these are things that not just paramedics live with. These are things that everybody to a degree, probably is struggling a little bit with something that they may not even realize. What I realize, though, is that a lot of those things come from what they call cognitive distortions. Basically, uh, you have incorrect thought patterns, and it triggers emotional responses. What photography did was give me a safe place where I realized, no, everything's fine. And the more I realized everything was fine when I was out taking photographs, that started spilling into all the other aspects of my life. Uh, Everything was fine at the dinner table. Everything was fine when I was walking the dog. And so I think photography lit a spark that filtered into all the other aspects of my life, if that makes sense. It does. Since PTSD has become something people feel less inclined to disregard or brush under the carpet, because there was a a stage clearly where people did. There, yep. there, there is this acceptance of it and, and of the condition. You you now have a 90-minute presentation on it, uh, which I was I reading do. about. Uh, where Who do you talk to with – can you take them to boardrooms or is it is it camera associations uh, – sorry, photographic associations? Who do you take at, it to? Yeah, at first it started out specifically that. I, I have um, a really active schedule speaking here in Vancouver. I probably speak to – 12 or 15 camera clubs in the Lower Mainland each year. I um, speak at photo conferences here. Sometimes Fujifilm will ask me to speak on their behalf somewhere. You know, trade shows and that kind of thing. And so I already had a a really active thing. And I have presentations on uh, travel photography, street photography. I've got several kind of 
canned two-hour presentations that groups can pick off my website and I come in and deliver. But this one group that I've spoken to many, many times, they're wonderful people and very kind and supportive of me. Um, They basically said, you know, we've run out of things for you to come talk about, Uh, make something new. (laughs) And and so I I had to stop and think about like, really, you know, I'm I'm a lifelong educator. I've been teaching for 25 years. And And what could I do that wasn't, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, formal education. And that really got me thinking about this journey that I was on. And and so I looked at putting together a presentation uh, that was about my process, not just through PTSD and how photography healed me, but the reality is, and this is what the book is about, my photography changed during the time I was healing from PTSD. Mm, interesting. And, and so I first put the presentation together for them. They became sort of the Petri dish for me to test it out. Um, and then it's gained traction. And so now I'm making slight changes to it. So it's not as photographic centric because there's value in talking to friends of mine that work for, um, you know, employers of paramedics and, and people in industries outside of the photography and the arts community. Let's move on to your wedding work. Um, mm-hmm. It's documentary in tone. Has it always been that way since you started shooting them or, or did you, uh, if you've, forgive the punny, and did, did you develop into that style? Oh, you've been saving that one up, yeah. haven't you? <laughs> yes. I'm, I apologise. Uh, no, it was good. You know, weddings are a small part of my work. I probably only shoot about six weddings a year. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's not a huge part of my work. Uh, education is actually the main focus of my, my photography. Photographic e- education. But the reason for that is um, a wedding to me is basically street photography with really well-dressed people. And I did make a conscious decision to only shoot weddings in that fashion. Um, a big part of the switch that we talked about when I went from shooting, you know, Nikon to to Fuji was that I had become frustrated with the confines of what I'll call structured photography, uh, you know, portrait work in a studio with a creative team and lighting and hair and makeup artists and, and even to an extent at the time to landscape photography, where I was restricted by the location and the weather and the time of day, I really moved into Fuji and street photography and everything else. At the same time, I said, I need to be shooting candidly, um, shooting sort of in the confines of all these, uh, I'm going to use the word restrictions, but it's not the right word, mm. um, it just wasn't for me anymore. And so that's actually where my brand shifted to focusing more on uh, education and that kind of thing. And street photography clearly is my first love. You can see in my work. I know. Um, Having said that, the reason I only shoot maybe six weddings a year now is that I'm very honest with my clients when we do the consult. And we talk about, you know, here's what I do. And they talk about here's what we need. And if what the client needs is not what I provide, I'm more than happy to refer them to friends of mine that shoot in a little bit more of a traditional fashion. And so I just make sure the client's needs are served and maybe I'm the right person. And, you know, then it's a win because documentary wedding photography is fabulous. Um, and it's still a win, even though I don't book the gig, if they end up booking the photographer that delivers what they're hoping to get. Well, there's an honesty and integrity to, to the way you work in that respect then, isn't there? I think, you know, this is a bit of a second calling for me, you know, and I really just made the decision with my photography that I- I've done jobs that had aspects I didn't like. We all have. And for me, photography just had to be 
doing what I love. And it means I make less money. Absolutely, it means I make less money. Um, but I love what I do and I look forward to each day. So I'm okay with that trade-off. I mean, talking a bit a bit about health, I'm, go- I'm going to mention health, but in a slightly different context. And mm-hmm. and on, on the podcast of late, we've been talking about the health of the photography industry and the challenging times that are facing many photographers, particularly here in the UK. And like it or loathe it, the suggestion of for the for the UK brethren who listen, you mentioned it first, so I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to mention it second. I think some of that fallout at the moment is down to this general malaise around the the thing that shall not be named Brexit. Um, <laughs> but what, what's it like in a country where sanity seems to be prevailing? Well, you know, Canadians just kind of do their thing, right? Um, I laughed actually. Uh, I was in the states a little while ago, and somebody bumped into me, and I apologized. And they went, you're Canadian, aren't you? And I went, yeah, how did you know? And she says, because I bumped into you and you still apologized, right? We just, you know, we kind of do our things. Um, The reality, though, is that businesses always change, you know, and as a business owner, you have to roll with the punches. You can can shout into the wind. Um, But if I think of when I did web design in, you know, 2004, like around that time, web design back then, you didn't have a lot of big content management systems like WordPress, you know, web pages were handwritten, they were hand coded. The days of Dreamweaver. Those were the, yeah, the early days of Dreamweaver. Mm. And at the time, Dreamweaver produced horrible code. And, And so if you really wanted a professional website in the early 2000s, you would pay somebody a lot of money to to make a custom page for you. That's actually how I got into professional photography. I was doing web design first, and my Uh clients asked for portrait and product photography to go with the website I was building for them. That was actually my entrance into professional photography. But uh, to go back to the original question, uh, you know, if I think of web design now, it is nothing uh, like what it was back in the early 2000s. And so people in that industry have either had to evolve or they've had to move on. And I think the photography industry is doing that a little bit too. Um, There's a lot of people coming in. Camera technology has made the barrier to entry a little bit more palatable. I think that uh, more clients have expectations for video now, which they maybe didn't before. I I think there's a changing industry. And along with the changing industry, if you want to have sustainability, you know, you have to go with those changes and find your opportunities within the current state and not what it looked like five or 10 years ago. I want to talk about street photography finally, because um, it's a really important part of your life. It, yes. it's, it's, it's an important, I think it's still an emerging genre for, for many at the moment. Um, but what is street photography to you? And and I, I've asked this of a few guests, including Sean Tucker of late, because it differs so much to so many different people. There's, there's a lot of purist nonsense spoken about it. So I've been intrigued to know what it means to you and what it is. So I am most definitely not a purist. We can definitely start with that. Eric Kim has a quote that says, street photography is finding beauty in the mundane. And I think that's everything to me. You may have experienced this and and your listeners may have experienced this. Um, The people that travel, here's an example of that. Uh, People from North America that go to Europe and, and you look at their itinerary and they book five countries in 10 days. And they spend two days in Rome and two days in Paris and two days in Berlin and two days in Prague and two days in Amsterdam. And the reality is you could spend a year in Paris and still not see all of Paris. And so when those people travel, a lot of times they'll see the Eiffel Tower and then, you know, they'll hop in an Uber or catch the Metro to see the Louvre. And then they'll try to hit five or six sites in one day. But for me, 
The beauty of Paris is not the Louvre. It's not the Eiffel Tower. It's what you see on the streets when you walk between those landmarks. And that is street photography for me. You know, I love taking pictures, uh, beautiful cityscapes and landscapes. I love that. But to me, I much prefer seeing the shopkeeper, um, you know, getting her shop ready in the morning. I much prefer to see the gentleman who's wearing, you know, his his suit and tie and hat walking his dog in the morning or the people sitting on the patios drinking wine. To me, that's the beauty of a city. And that's mm. where street photography really fulfills me. It's just capturing those daily snippets instead of rushing from one big thing to the next big thing. How do you deal with what some people find is uh, reasonably confrontational, um, which is when you're you're making pictures of people and they know you're making pictures of them? How, how do you deal with that? I've had very little experience with that, actually. The thing for me is if somebody says, hey, did you just take a photograph of me? My first answer is always yes. I I never try to hide the fact that I'm making photos. And I say yes with a smile. And when people come over to me and say, you know, do you mind me asking, why did you make that photograph? I will tell them the truth. I take photographs of people because I think there's something beautiful about them. It could be um, their hair. It could be the dress they're wearing. It could be their smile. It could be the wizened uh, lines and wrinkles in their face. And I will tell them, like, I think you look amazing. Look at this photograph. Look at how wonderful you look in it. I think it's a compliment Mm. as a street photographer to make a photograph of somebody. And it's nothing that I would ever be guilty or ashamed of. And it's funny because the vast majority of people um, will say, wow, that's a fabulous photo. And then I use that opportunity to turn that into a little mini impromptu portrait session with them. And often I end up sending them copies of the photographs. Mm. Now, there have been two people maybe three, but two that I can recall that have asked me to delete the photograph. And you know, the thing is, I do. Uh, I'm not under any obligation to. Uh, I'm certainly not under any legal obligation to. But I do because photography for me is art. And art is about enriching and bringing joy to our lives. And if somebody's not happy with a photograph, then I don't want that photograph out there. Let's talk about the legality and the logistics, if, if, if you don't mind. The recent French workshop that you ran, I was looking at the, the images from that. And by the way, you write so beautifully as well when you, when you write your pieces that go with oh, your, thank you. your That's images. Kind. Um, I, I was thinking it must, it must be a very difficult affair in the, in the capital now, or indeed that country, but I was, I was trying to make sense of the Article 9 French Civil Code about everyone having a right to privacy and not, not being able to make a, a picture of anything or anyone in, in France. But just like many things, there seem to be exceptions to the rule and get-out clauses that would make this question about 2,000 words long. How, how do you deal with the, the legality about street and the questions that are, are making it seemingly harder to make pictures yeah. where, where people feature? Europe is tougher right now, isn't yeah. it? I yeah, mean, yeah. You've got the confusion over what the GDPR is and isn't. Um, and then you've got things like what you just described. Is it is it Title IX, Article IX in Paris? Yeah, I, I think it's, it. it's Article IX. Um, it's a French civil code. And, and it's a very old law, is my understanding, that's been around on the books for a long time. Um, you know, for me, I, I think a big part of it is what am I doing with the images? I, I shoot street photography for me. I don't shoot street photography for commercial purposes. I don't shoot street photography um, to use these photos for stock or to sell them to an organization for their promotional materials. Street photography is a personal endeavor that I use to express myself as an artist. And so 
right now in Europe, I agree with you, the the waters have been muddied a tiny little bit regarding the legalities of candid photography. Um, the workshop and the, the eight-part series that's on my website right now that you just mentioned, it was not a street photography workshop per se. It was a travel workshop, but it definitely had street photography elements in it. And uh, the thing for me is if anybody contacted me again and said, you know, that picture, I really don't want it on your website. I would take it down. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think it's the respectful thing to do. But the funny thing is I've had 99% of the people that I've ever spoken to have asked for copies of the photographs rather <laughs> than, can you take that down? You know, as a paramedic, Every shift on an ambulance, 12-hour shifts with what was always overtime, so 14-hour shifts probably, um, you'd meet 10 new people a day. And you would have to learn how to build an instant rapport with those 10 people. And then multiply that by a 20-year career and 15,000 people. And what you really learn is 99% of the people out there are wonderful if you just give them the opportunity to be. And I think a lot of the times people that have problems uh, on the street, it's not their photography skills, it's their people skills. Mm. And I don't, I don't mean that in a, a derogatory way. I, I, it's not an insult at all. But I think sometimes we build up stories in our mind of things we need to be nervous about. And that instantly creates an uncomfortable situation. Whereas if you start from a place of the vast majority of people, the world over are wonderful people. And, you know, if we just stop and talk and have a conversation and approach it more like a humans of New York thing and less like an, oh, no, I'm in trouble thing, you'll be surprised by the reactions you get from people. And that just feeds into all the other parts of it, like the legality issue and everything else. I think that's a, a wonderful way to leave this, but I don't want to leave it just yet. I've got a question where I, I shall wear a cheeky glint in my eye. <laughs> all right, then. <laughs> What's next? I'd written what's next down a little while ago, but I'm going to say what's next with that cheeky glint in my eye, buying an X-Pro3, I assume. <laughs> so uh, my answer to that part would be talk to Kevin. And then in terms of what's next for me, you know, that's actually a really good question. Uh, I'm always trying to move the ball down the field a little bit. And uh I'm, I'm really happy with how my workshops are going. I'm enjoying the writing I'm doing. Uh, things are great, honestly. But I always fear complacency. And so I've been thinking a lot about the what's next. You know, I could probably keep doing what I'm doing right now for another 10 years. But for me, it's always looking for the next thing. So right now, um, I want to get this book out the door because... I really do think a book about how the arts can help you heal from things like PTSD and not just PTSD. I mean, you know, you can be a computer IT person or a construction worker or a doctor or an accountant and still suffer from anxiety and depression. Mm. But I really want to get this book out for a couple of things. The process of writing it has been very cathartic for myself, but I also think there's a lot of value in the way my story might be able to help people. Um, and then after that, I'll kind of look at the next big thing. Well, it's been an absolute genuine privilege talking with you, Ian. Um, when when the PTSD book and your relationship with it and the photography um, comes out, you must let us know because I'm, I'm sure there'll be listeners right now that will be interested in reading that and having a oh, copy of that for themselves. I would be happy to. And at the risk of 
blowing a little bit of smoke your way, <laughs> you and Kevin are doing a wonderful job on this podcast. Well, that's very kind of you, and we appreciate that as well. Thank you for your time, Ian. My pleasure. Thank you. We've got some cracking guests coming up uh, over the next month. Uh, Brian Caparici is going to be on uh, in a few weeks' time. You know Brian, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, because you've been interviewed on his podcast. Yeah, I say I know him. I've obviously been interviewed and never met him. Um, But yeah, he's a a good... business guru i think he's the one that runs the spread studio stuff that's right um, yeah the software yeah he was uh, one, nine people working for him on in, in his company now yeah well he was one of the um the guests on the the little meet the yes yeah, and it? that's where this comes from um I, I i mentioned to brian afterwards with your um you know with your software company and the fact that you run the the uh, crm system for mm. photographers then um and with his knowledge and training photographers on the other side of the pond mm. i thought it'd be quite interesting mm. so so we're, mm. we're gonna we've got him um and also in a couple of weeks time um it's a meet the moderators um oh. piece that we're doing with peter peter and, steve. Uh, peter and steve so if you're in the facebook group and you've um you've locked antlers with peter and steve <laughs> then um, you will hear them in a, in a couple of weeks time tomorrow if you're listening to this on monday the uh, the 9th of um of September, then uh, then the tenth tomorrow. Um, if you're joining us in Brighton, um, we're doing a show which will be recorded live during the fish and chip session at midday. Although you're meeting us at eleven o'clock at the entry, the entry to Brighton Pier, the Palace mm-hmm. Pier, not the burn down one. No. Um, then uh, obviously, uh, and then that that podcast that we're recording tomorrow is going to be played out next week, and there'll be a, a, a couple of special guests on that that are turning up. So, uh, fantastic. So, do come and join us. Right. um, Questions, questions, questions. Oh, before we go to questions, um, a hand up in the air. We should have noticed this. Do apologise. I must admit, it was a bit quiet on the questions last week. And the the reason for that is because the email wasn't working. Yeah. And that was... um, (laughs) Well, I'm not going to take responsibility for it because it was my... um, I'd changed the hosting of the websites and everything. And in in amongst all of that mix, there was something that went awry. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, technically it was was not my fault, but I'll take responsibility for it. If you sent in a question, uh, we don't mind if you send it again. Yeah. Only if you sent it in the last week. You would have got a bounced email. Yeah. So if, if you, you got, if you've yeah. got a res- returned email, please um, send it again. Send it again. Yeah, we'd yeah. appreciate that. Right, you can go with the questions first. Okay, so this one's from Nigel, Nigel Payton. Uh, it says, hi guys, just want to say first off, the podcasts are like a great Tarantino movie. Really? <laughs> What's your favourite Tarantino movie? Blimey, I mean, where do you start? Natural Born Killers, Pulp Fiction, clearly, Kill Bill. I love Kill Bill. I, lo- I like the, the, the character, the nurse in it. Um, California Mountain Snake, frightening. I can't watch any of those films. No, no. I love them. Uh, I started listening to them again and again. There's so much content I missed the first time around. I'm actually looking forward to listening to a third time. Wow, brilliant. Um, <laughs> you said it was such belief. No. Uh, anyway, my question is about timing before the wedding. I heard Mr. Mullins say he likes to get to a wedding one uh, one and a half hours before. Uh, Sometimes more. One before. and a half hours. Oh yeah, no, I start That's my coverage lot. an hour and a half before, but I'm usually at a wedding like three, four, five hours in sometime. the vicinity. If you're in London, you, you you're literally there as the markets are opening. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm very um, I'm very conscious of that. That's my anxiety. Um, anyway, be- uh, so when do you? guys have time to shoot the bride also how do you split your time between photographing the bride and the groom do you get times uh, from them both beforehand asking when mm. the hair makeup people will be arriving
arriving, etc. I seem to remember at my wedding getting ready about the same time as the wifey. <laughs> wifey. wifey. Uh, but to be honest, the day was just a blur, so I can't be sure. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Well, I, I personally, I, I concentrate on bridal preparations. Yeah. Not, I mean, not that the boys are boring or anything like that, but it does tend to be shirts on, collars done, the cufflinks, and oh, we're done. We stand around. And, and whereas there's so much more, it just seems to be going on with the girls. Don't just talk about makeup and hair. It just seems to be a slightly more electric atmosphere. I haven't done groom prep in, well, I think I've done it about three times in my entire time. Well, I did my first um, only a couple of weekends ago at a military wedding. Now, that was a bit different because mm. suddenly there's a whole different, I mean... Buckles the, and belts. The, yeah, well, the groom had actually more uh, more changes than than than, yeah. um, than anybody else, it seemed. Or the best man. He had three changes because he had a, a Scots um, outfit in the evening as well. But yeah, generally speaking, though, it's it's there's not that much happening with the boys. No, generally, I had uh, and sat- usually they don't want to be fussed. Saturday's wedding just gone. A classic example: the bride and groom um, contacted me ages ago and said, "Well, we you know we, we'd quite like to have groom prep done also." Uh, and I was like, okay, fine. Well, in which case you'll need to, you know, we'll need to have a second shooter because I can only be in one place at one time. And th- which they agreed to and we, they paid for a second shooter and Alex came along, bless him. And I uh, got a text message from the bride, uh, you know, around about an hour and a half before the wedding saying, oh, the groom's running a bit late. He's not going to, they've gone to the pub. And so, um, you know, tell Alex to just kind of see us at the ceremony. So that often happens. Um, I, I, I don't get involved with with grooms really um at all and in terms of the timings and things like that i've had it right at the beginning where i would get emails saying we're going to the hairdressers at 7 30 in the morning you know meet us there and and i did it and i learned my lesson very easily there so now when i get the email in my pre-wedding questionnaire i'll ask them you know what time are you you know what time is bridal prep and around that question i'll explain to them that i need to i spend 45 minutes with the bride and i need to be at the ceremony location 45 minutes before it starts Mm. so at that point let's just say the ceremony is at 1 p.m so i need to um, be at the ceremony location at quarter past 12 and I will then, assuming that the uh, bride's getting ready at the same place, I will be leaving her at, I will be with her at half 11. Um, so I, I, I kind of explain that to them. And at the same time, I, you know, I'll say, you, you know, you definitely don't want kind of little four, short, fat, hairy, stumpy me b- bumbling around <laughs> your bedroom for five hours in the morning. You know, you want to have time with your girls. That's that's the whole point of it. Yeah. Um, and the brides generally... Well, I can imagine that, short, fat, hairy, <laughs> which is not fair anyway, just popping up behind the bed. Hello! Hello! Good morning! Uh, here I am. I brought you some tea! Yeah. Um, no <laughs> smiles, though. <laughs> uh, uh, but it's true, you know, they, they, they you don't... We talked about this just brief. We touched on it briefly earlier. This whole kind of nine a.m. through to midnight thing. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's only me. I totally appreciate it's only me. But I wouldn't want. I can't. I cannot believe that me being at bridal prep for the whole duration of it. How many pictures do you give them for bridal prep? I don't know. Ten. Yeah. Maybe Depends. sometimes there's a few. More. Sometimes a few more. Perhaps yeah. if there's other stuff going on. Yeah. But but how you know? I, I'm guilty of this myself. I mean, I take. She's having a lipstick done or a makeup or hair or something. And you take loads of pictures of it and assuming one of them, the, you know, the next one will be better than the previous one. And then you give them one, you know, and, and it's pff, you just overshoot. And, you know, I, I don't know. It's it, it, Maybe it's just me. But so I don't I It's an hour and a half. And that's my you know, that's that's in the contract as well. That's in my notes to them. So it's fully they're fully understanding of it. Uh, groom prep don't just really don't 
Don't bother. Ali Stewart in Dundee. This is going to make you feel a bit melancholic. I'm still loving the podcast, although Fat Kev's in Spain is making me very jealous. He fat isn't now. Kev? He's been... Did you say Fat no, Kev? No, Fact. The Fact oh. that Kev. No, <laughs> fat Kev is in Spain. I've been, called, Spain. I've been called many things, uh, and I have been called no, that. No, no, <laughs> although the fact that Kevin is in Spain is making me very, very jealous as the weather here has been terrible. But he's not now, you see. The fact no. is he's now back in the UK. Yeah. Um, it's not rained so much as summer weddings for years. <laughs> anyway, my questions are, um, oh, can I enter the competition to win a ticket for Bath? You are the last one to enter, Ali, because we are going to announce it. Um, this coming week in the Facebook group. Yeah. So if you want a ticket for Bath, you will find out if you're a winner in the Facebook group this coming week. If you have to explain or write a caption to describe an image, can it be good? Uh, can it be a good documentary photograph, or should a documentary photograph be self-explanatory with no need for words? I quite like that question. Mm. So we'll deal with that one first because she has another one coming up. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one, isn't it? Because. Uh, Technically, what what we're when we're looking at a picture that should you know should explain give us the story behind it etc. But sometimes you need to know the context. Yeah. You know, if it's a well, I think back now to Don McCullen exhibition. Yeah, we needed some of the stories, absolutely, particularly that horrific. And we've mentioned this one before, the horrific one where the the guy is just about to be executed. Yeah. Then it kind of needed to know the backstory of what was going on there. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah which yeah. made the picture even more horrific yeah but the backstory was important i mean the guy in the picture looked looked you know scared obviously but knowing what was about to happen yeah the caption assisted the 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 history of that picture yeah i think i think there's there's a valid validity in that definitely um you know and of course if it's if it's a picture of a bride and groom at the front of the aisle sharing her first kiss, then that's that goes without saying, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. But sometimes you might need unless to she's explain. kissing the the best man, and then you might need a bit of backstory. <laughs> might need a bit of backstory, <laughs> but also it depends on the audience, right? So yeah. um, there are many pictures that you will have on your own wedding blog, and Ali will also, and I will also, that make no sense to the casual visitor, mm. but make a lot of sense to the clients. So something particularly might have happened, or there might be, uh, you know, uh, it might even be just a a vehicle passing by or something mm. you know anything that uh that helps to make the client understand their story more doesn't not doesn't necessarily mean it's going to make your casual visitor understand it more well i think you make a very valid point because um i i changed my website a good few years back now to have the backstory to images some of the just some of the images on my portfolio and i did that because i i i wanted to introduce myself to clients that were coming to my to my website mm. so now when you read down the main portfolio it reads like in some places there's a there's a there's a short commentary to the way i was feeling mm. when i was making the picture i do exactly the same my, my yeah. portfolio page i hate portfolio pages but portfolio pages pictures. were never like that were they no. and, and most portfolio pages aren't if you go to a portfolio page and of course it depends as, as well whether you're um whether the format of your site will allow some words. But if it does, if you can if you can relay some context to a picture, I know that I've had clients that have said, God, I've, I felt like I knew you before I met you because yeah. I've, I've read your words, I've read your thoughts. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and that's why I do the Why I Love Your Wedding Picture series mm. on my website. And yeah, uh, yeah, totally. You, you do need to explain some I wonder, stuff. I wonder what Bruce Gilden would write if he was writing captions. Another angry man, another angry woman. I see. He, he's doing, he's yeah. doing a workshop in London in October. <clears throat> I would love to see that. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was tempted. 
I must admit, but I'm in Portugal. Oh. Um, so, question two of Ali. Yes. Well, tell me why I should upgrade from the XT2 to, to 3, or should I wait for the upgrade of the X100F? It upgrades people, upgrades. Do you remember that from robots? No. No. Is okay. that scary? No, it's a cartoon. Oh. Um, <laughs> I may have seen it. There's then. a scary moment in it. Oh, no, I wouldn't have seen it then. But, but um, really, it's, it's made for five and six-year-olds. So... Tell me why I should upgrade from the X-T2 to the X-T3, or should I wait for the upgrade of the X-100F? Well, first, <laughs> firstly, Ali, what I would say to that is the X-100 range yes. is very different to the X-T range. So upgrading from the X-T2 to the X-100 next, whatever that is, whenever that is, mm. is a bit of a bit of an odd thing, really. You know, I like the X-100, you, absolutely, I shoot with it all the time at weddings and stuff, but, you know, it's a side-by-side camera. It's not something that I would consider upgrading from my XT to my, and um, replacing my XT with my X100 or no, something. No. Um, however, but the original part of that question, XT2 to XT3. Two to three, yeah, I'd definitely uh, yeah. Be, be thinking about it because of the low-light performance, dynamic range. In a heartbeat. Um, you know, the filming um, opportunities it, and the the, the, the different uh, megabit rates that you get. In a yeah, heartbeat. I don't mean, even I, think about it. I said, when the XT3, when they when the first kind of uh, started showing the XT3 stuff, the specs and everything, I knew then that that was the biggest yeah. upgrade to a camera, a Fujifilm Max camera in the in the whole history of it. Well, the XT3 was the, the I mean, I, I've used Fujifilm for a long time, as you know, but but not exclusively. And the X-T3 was the camera um, that uh, saw me box up my Canons. Yeah, I mean, the X-T3 is the camera that I shoot along with an X-Pro2 at weddings now. Um, yeah. And X- I'm always an X-Pro2 user, X-Pro1, X-100F, etc. But the X-T3, the functionality of it, I don't particularly give um, too much love to the design. Um, but the the actual functionality is... it's. It's nuts. It's incredible. It's phenomenal. I, I just, um, uh, when I was on holiday this summer, I took the X100F. I took nothing else, just oh. the X100F. I oh. even filmed on it as well. Oh. Um, and that's a super camera. Oh, X100F is beautiful. I, I, I took loads of pictures of the kids mm. with it this summer as well. Um, when I, I get round to making the film, the, the one, one camera, one week film. One camera, one week. Yeah. I, nice title. Yeah. yeah. Nice title. Not enough imagery yet because I did spend a little bit too long with the sun lounger. <laughs> But there we go. Right, your question. Have we been to Finland before? We Tam- have. We yeah, Ta- uh, Thomas. Oh um, yeah, Thomas. O- over over the uh, the last couple of weeks, yeah. he, he popped up as a guest on the show. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Quite right. Uh, this is Johannes. My, my bad. So this is Johannes Hanila. Mm. Um, <laughs> I love saying all these names. Uh, <laughs> do you remember the? Um, uh, I won't mention the, um, the 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 name of the convention, but oh, God, the, um, the the convention the reading, reading out of year. the awards. Oh, and that it was hysterical. <laughs> I used to just collapse under the table at the mispronunciation of names. And actually sometimes... The- <laughs> Sorry, we'll have to bleep that name out. Sometimes the person wouldn't even bother. They'd just say, oh, can't we bother with this name? <laughs> Epic. Uh, anyway... Um, sorry, you had to be there, dear audience. You did, yeah, sorry. Yeah. First of all, thank you for a very, really interesting and entertaining podcast. High quality, thank you very much. I would like to know how you keep the passion for photography alive and keep improving as a photographer when it is your profession. I know that when a hobby becomes a profession, it may happen that at some point it becomes just another job and you find yourself stuck in a rut. I love that word, rut. Stuck in a rut. Uh, That may lead you to lose the passion that feeds your creativity and pushes you to learn. How do you keep the passion alive and challenge yourself as a photographer? Do you, for example, practice other genres of photography in your free time? Give yourself tasks or projects or maybe switch to a less used focal length to push yourself out of the comfort zone. Mm. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Johannes Hanila from Tampere, Finland. I think there was a Winter World Cup there, you know. 
what in Finland? Winter Olympics. A Winter Olympics, mm. maybe. Was there? Yeah. Johannes would be able to tell us. Yeah, let us know, Johannes. You know, when a hobby becomes a profession, it 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 instantly changes the the dy- it, it instantly changes the dynamic of it, totally. I mean, I go back to my time working in broadcast and radio, and uh, I mean the hours I would spend till midnight, midnight thirty, one a.m. in the morning, just just practicing at, at hospital radio stations and and then when it became when it became my job of course that that kind of passion wasn't wasn't there in the same mm. so I loved it mm. but it wasn't quite the same there wasn't quite the same energy well yeah i mean it's really 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 important that you you know most people who get into photography whether that's from school university or they just fall into it at some point later in life do it because they love it they love the art of it and it's not it's not a functional job in that in in you know it's not not like being an accountant or something so it is important to keep it and i know many people who have lost it and i know many people that you know basically pick up the cameras on a saturday shoot a wedding put them down saturday night and pick them up again the following saturday and do nothing in between and i think that's desperately sad you know personally for myself i i don't feel like i have ever lost the passion for wanting to take pictures many many occasions i've lost the creative spark um and sometimes i've you know been sat there thinking oh, i really want to go out today and then just haven't yeah. um and you know you do need to you do need to give yourself um ambition you need to give yourself projects for example um you know you can do a i don't know uh, three six five. Oh well, Bert, Bert Stefani over in Belgium. He's uh, one of the first things I ever remember from him was he did a thing called fifty and fifty, which was fifty pictures in fifty right. days right. on a fifty mil lens. And oh, what a great idea! Yeah, and he's just yeah. started it again this week, I think. So he's up to like day three. Um, so yeah, I think it's like ten years since he did it. So he's doing it like as don't an start using two hundred millimeter lenses. You'll go mad. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> um, keep it short. But you know something like that that keeps you keeps you peaked. But also, you know, I, I'm always a little bit ca- uh, cautious of those kind of things because by giving yourself those boundaries, by shackling yourself to the rule of fifty and fifty, for example, although Bert will do it very well, you it then may become a chore. Mm. Just by virtue and you know an inference of what you're trying to do so you know don't don't make it a chore just 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 enjoy it give yourself time that's the critical thing um you know time to do something i i one of the things when i was in spain i sat down and, and kind of reevaluated how i plan my diary and schedule and everything and I, i've you know i've got that down to a t now I've, I've got a good diary set up i've got i use remember the milk to uh, the app to tell me what i'm doing and when i'm doing and remember the milk remember the milk yeah it's is brilliant. that an android app yeah it's an everything app an yeah everything app. it's 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 really really cool remember the milk um maybe that's for another time to talk on the, the podcast yeah. about time management and stuff yeah. but but what, what i am doing is building into my my time um time to go and go to places and shoot and mostly for me it manifests itself as street photography and you know I'm, i've got in my diary places i'm going to visit and you know often it's back to london or whatever and i'm going to make youtube films and all that but i have to diarize i have to give myself time and otherwise it becomes a chore it becomes a rush and then you just sit back in your in your studio and you think crap i really wished i'd actually got off my butt to do something uh instead of actually doing anything else Mm. so you know that's important and um yeah i think that you know it's a it's something you, you, you know you can't 
one of these it's this is one of those kind of questions where you just want to say you have to help yourself you 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 can't you can't let it wash over you you've got to you've got you only you know what makes you passionate about something Uh, whether that's picking up a book and you know going off and shooting something similar or whether it's giving yourself a theme giving yourself a a, you know a a parameterized theme whatever doesn't matter i mean look at uh, look at patrick larock i mean he's he he takes pictures of his draining board and they're beautiful, you know, and, and it's it's annoying. It's a genre. So. Yeah, draining board pictures. Yeah, draining board pictures. But yeah. but he you know, he's he he just you know, he's a mesmerizing guy and he, he just sees things and light and shadow and takes a picture of it and you know it's in- incredible Johannes you make a good point about other genres of photographer photography in your free time as being something uh, that, that could be an interesting thing to do as well I think that's very very important I, I am I'm going to surprise you now and it started a little bit with my conversation with Mandy Burton um, which was oh, a good month maybe mm-hmm. two months back mm-hmm. now but I've started photographing not uh, 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 dogs and their strangers or um, uh, dogs and their owners dogs and strangers. their strangers dogs and their strangers <laughs> what on earth am I talking about Mandy you would know what I'm talking yeah. about wouldn't you yes I would good um, um, I, I've, I've started doing portraits because I love dogs love dogs and we, we look after uh, my brother-in-law's dog and I started doing uh, very very uh, conventional kind of portraits and a, a Louis Garvin kind of style yeah that surprised you. Yeah, you yeah, weren't yeah. expecting me to say that, but I No, I I, I totally agree. I mean they, they can be beautiful. Um do you want our dogs? You can have our dogs. You can you can <laughs> well, you, you want yeah, I don't want any work. money for them. You can just have them. <laughs> no, I don't want the dogs. I'll even I'm, give you a child I'm as making, well if you want. I'm making pictures. Um <laughs> yeah. but uh, thank you, Johannes. Oh uh, yeah, and I think actually Johannes, I think that deserves a strap. That was a very good question. Um so well done. We'll send you a oh I'll send you an email which will explain to you how you get your simpler strap and Johannes Hanila from Tampia, Finland. And it's a good job you got in there uh, with with that last question there, Johannes, because that is the end of the show. Thank you very, very much um, for for tuning in this week. Sorry about my Brexit. (laughs) No, that's all right. It's okay because I think we're all feeling this. It makes me sorry. I know, I know. I can can tell. It's not helping the gout, is it, to be honest? No, no, no. Uh, thank you for the questions. Lifeblood of the show. We can't shovel coal into the firebox. I know you like that, unless you bring your questions to the party. So send them in via the website address. Click at fujicast.co.uk. Thank you to our guest, Ian McDonald, this week. And uh, big love to our friends at Simpler for letting us give away a camera strap each to our favourite email question of the week. Go to simpler.us, S-I-M-P-L-R. Dot US music from Blue Wednesday uh, payoffs right well here we go we've got, we've got some fancy new payoffs now which are coming in so you know funnily enough we had loads of people say they'd do them and, and, and then as, uh, we haven't yeah we could still do with when you've said you'd do them now actually send them to us yeah it would be fantastic but hopefully this will this will start the ball rolling your one this week is from Jeremy Baker in Australia Neil's Instagram is Neil James see his films on YouTube at Neil James Photo his website is Neil James com for pictures and one-to-one mentoring. I'm Tim Bender from Indiana. My Instagram is Timothy B. Me, T-I-M-O-T-H-Y-B-M-E, and my website is timothybme.com. Now, I know I pressed the wrong button. We can either just do this all over again or we just accept that I was a complete idiot and did that. You know nothing about this stuff, no, do you? No, I don't. Nothing. If I press the right button, we'll, we'll get the one that is your one. Who is? Uh, that was Tim Binder. This is uh, Jeremy Baker from Australia for Kevin. Kevin's Instagram is Kevin Mullins Photography. See his films on YouTube at Documentary Eye. His website is kevinmullinsphotography.co.uk. All for street workshops and everything Fuji film.
platform, go to f16.click. I'm Jeremy Baker, and my Instagram is jb102. Okay, so if you want to send them in, it's as easy as just reading this. The script now is on that question thing. So if you look on the Facebook group, you find the question, or email us, I'll send you the script. You add in your own Instagram or your website plug as well. We're delighted for you to do that, and then we'll play them out on the on the show. Um, and looking forward, if you're listening to this on Monday, the 9th of September, looking forward to seeing you if you're coming in Brighton tomorrow for the big for the big meetup. We are meeting at 11 o'clock. Yep. Um, at the entrance to the Palace Pier. Do not go to the one that's burned down. No. I'll be the one that's limping. <laughs> no, you won't be limping by then. Oh, mind you, we, we probably have a few red wines uh, the night before, won't we? So.